Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Now we've finished having a private conversation, which can't be broadcast. Welcome, no. to, the, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Air. Yep. Uh, and th- can I just say, uh, this is a sincerity warning. Yes. <laughs> that I know, I know, it's horrible. Uh, but on, I've, we've had so many great emails. We honestly could read out every single one we had over the weekend. So I'm so sorry that we're not going to be able to. But there's good news coming. We've got an email special this week that we yeah. will record on Thursday. So if you don't hear your missive between now and then, don't give up. No, don't give up. Don't I mean, you probably don't give couldn't, up. couldn't care less whether it's read out or not. But if you do care, uh, please don't think we've ignored you because we absolutely. No. And it'll be that will be released on Friday. It'll be so released, released into the ether, into the wild. Yeah. Um, now I've got a couple of announcements to make. For number one, I met Lorna at Euston Station on Friday. How is Lorna? Lorna's all right. She was like me, slightly harassed visiting an elderly parent in Liverpool. So she was doing the, the dart up to the northwest uh, on Friday morning, but it was lovely to meet her. And Laura, completely different person, is listening in Antigua. Laura, I saw your mum at Pilates. Right, there you go. That's okay. it now. I've got nothing else to contribute. Okay. I had a little mild criticism. <laughs> Bring from, it. From, from, from a, a listener quite close uh, who objected to you saying that my mum had moved up to Scotland to get away from me Sorry the exact about words used uh, what did she say I, actually I can't repeat it right. I can't repeat it okay. but uh, just to say that that's not why mum went to Scotland it her sounds, family's from Scotland it sounds more than a mild criticism <laughs> I'm I'm genuinely sorry. It's all right. It's all right. I had to wind everything back in and we're good now. Uh, Now, this is all about service and uh, it just made me laugh out loud. Uh, So it'd be a good place to start. Listening to your chat about self-service checkouts made me feel I needed to tell you about the new ridiculous system in our local garage. (laughs) Right, steady yourself against something firm, everybody. Get a cup of tea. Here we go. I took my car for MOT and a service uh, to a garage I've used for the 10 years that I've owned my current car. A new system is in place. You no longer take in your car and hand over the keys. You have to check in online. Then you take your car in, you sign in again on a screen in the showroom, and then you leave your key 
in a safety deposit box. They then work on your car and send you a video of the engineer who's worked oh, on the car. Oh, God's sake. He stands in the workshop and reads a piece of paper to the camera explaining his health check on your vehicle, which incidentally he also sent on email for me to read. He clearly didn't want to do that job as the expression in his voice and on his face proved and the background noise of the workshop made it difficult to hear him anyway. What was so difficult about someone ringing me to say that my car was okay or needed work done? They call it service but frankly it's so impersonal I like Jane will be going to where there is more personal contact with the staff next time keep up the good work that's from Jan Lloyd so don't go back to that garage and like Jane your your bugbear was with it's the self-checkout so I will quite happily I've got time to kill let's be honest I'm not busy I will join a queue at the checkout to interact with a human rather than using the self-checkout and I've stopped going to Sainsbury's now Jan, because they don't have any tills, you know, with a normal There's conveyor nobody. belt. There's nobody. No. So I just will take my custom elsewhere. I'll take my custom And we elsewhere. all should. We yeah. all should, because it's not, it's not the way that people want to go. I think they've missed the point of shopping. Yes, it, there's got to be an interaction. And also, the poor people who have to man those self-service checkouts with its constant call for an assistant, you know, have an age verification, you haven't put it right thing in and, you know, that's no job, that's terrible. Yeah, actually, they do have a hard time, those people. Well, everyone's bad tempered. Everyone's bad tempered, they're always being shouted at. They they have to run from pillar to post, don't they, in order to satisfy. And also, there's just something, there is something lovely uh, about that kind of interaction that you used to be able to have uh, as all of your goods went down the conveyor belt. Do you remember the Carolina Hearn sketch? On. Where she'd just pick up everything, every individual item, comment. and just have a comment about it. <laughs> oh, the big sanitary towels, you want a heavy flow? Preparation H. Um, I mean, there are some things. True, there are some things I'm happy to sneak through the self checkout. I've got to be honest. Like what? Well, you know, some of those more delicate medical areas that you're not bothered about. My heavy flow. Everyone can know about that. Um, This is important because it references B, who was our listener who'd moved from Singapore uh, in to Bristol. That was right, wasn't it? Or was it Hong Kong? It might have been Hong Kong. She'd lived in. Uh, anyway, she was struggling a little yes. bit in, in Bristol. And thank you to our listeners in Bristol who have been in touch. Eleanor says, I heard that message from B about being an expat in Bristol. And as a fellow expat in Bristol, I agree with her. It is easier to make new friends in expat communities where everyone is much more open to new people. I'd be very happy to have a commiseration cuppa with her should she ever need a listening ear. So do pass on my email if you are able to. I think we can. There is probably a safe way for us to do that or certainly make contact with B if she contacts us. We'll try and sort that out. That shouldn't be impossible, should it, Kate? No, thank you. Yeah. And did you see the other one from Claire in Bristol? Uh, go for it, because I'm then going to bring in Colette. OK. Um, I wanted to tell you, says uh, Claire, about uh, a fantastic community of Bristol women on the Facebook group Bristol Girl. People post all manner of things, ranging from asking for recommendations for waxing uh, to friend requests. I've lived in Bristol all my 37 years, and I still find it hard sometimes to meet like-minded folk, and I've connected with others through this group. I would recommend that B takes a look and considers a 
attending one of the many social events which happen every month, or she could just create her own post asking if anybody might be in a similar situation to herself and would like to grab a coffee. So there you go. There's something I didn't know. Uh, so the name of that group is Bristol Girl. Uh, B, let us know how you get on. Yeah, and actually Mumsnet is always really, really yes, good yeah. uh, at uh, the big community kind of thing. And you can find age-specific kids as well. Uh, you know, to go and hang out with their parents because that's so important too. Uh, so Colette's email is an email of two halves. Uh, the first is about Hive books. Have you come across Hive? No, what's that? So if you buy a book from Hive uh, and uh, the email, the website address is just hive.co.uk, a percentage of the money goes to your chosen local bookshop uh who are often struggling, says Colette. Uh, so far, by ordering books, I've supported a small bookshop near me in Leek, and when I buy a book for my daughter, a bookshop in East Dulwich too. An elderly lady is up to no good, which is book club number four book, is in stock at Hive. Just thought your listeners might be interested or able to recommend other ethical ways of book buying. Um, and this is because it's, it's quite difficult to get hold of this book at the moment uh, on the great big bookstore of um, Bezos. So lots of people have been suggesting other places to go and actually just other places to go anyway and you're absolutely right to do that. Lots of people want to give their local library a mention. I think the problem was for a couple of our listeners early doors uh, their library wasn't going to stock it uh, anytime soon uh, which is why they're trying to source it from other places. Uh, so we'll read the Helen Thurston Thurston book in about four weeks time, three weeks time I think maybe Definitely after half term. I say that selfishly because half term's next week. And you're off next week. There has been some racy chat about possibly doing a non-fiction book yes. next. I know. I think it'd be a good idea. Well, I bought a book the other day that I thought might be quite useful. It's called Unwell Women and it's about the history of medicine and women. Oh, not keen? I, I, uh, maybe, maybe, mm. maybe. Well, I haven't read it yet. No. So, um, but talking of yeah. library. Oh, could I just do part two of Colette's yes. email because it's really lovely. Topic number two. This is a tougher one for me, says Colette. This also came up in the same podcast. I'd love for more airtime on the topic of what it's like to be trying to make friends in your older years. I'm 54. Two years ago, I moved to a village in North Staffordshire and I'm finding the loneliness crippling. I crave female company. Well, any company. It feels like a chasm in the brain and body, a kind of decay. Whilst everyone I meet is very friendly and any groups that I've gone along to, so that's walking groups, Zumba, yoga, WI, all equally friendly. But I sense that women in my age group already have their tribes. It doesn't go beyond a few hours of chit chat and it was good to meet you because who needs another friend? And I think... Um, it's such an interesting point to make. Colette goes on to say, I crave proper conversation, the type where people are curious and listen rather than just talk at you. It took me a while to identify what this very low feeling was and then one day I thought, I'm lonely. I'd appreciate any advice, even if it's confirmation that it's time to realise that this is it. Has anyone else been here and come through it or found a way to cope? Uh, and Colette works in mental health, realises how loneliness affects mental and physical health. So it feels all the more ironic that I'm in this situation. I can't remember the last time I laughed and how sad is that, literally. Well, Colette, it's not sad at all. I would say that that's absolutely an inevitability of everything that you've said. I think if you get to 54 and, you know, clearly you've had a family too, you have a depth of friendship and relationships that have gone before and of course you want to meet that in your new life 
I mean, it's like, you know, the temperature of the bath that you've been used to being in is mm. the temperature that you want your bath to be. So how incredibly frustrating that you can't find that. And I think you're right as well that especially in groups of women who've been through a lot of different phases with each other, that can feel like a tribe that is well, a little tribes. bit unbreakable. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, so advice on... And whereabouts breaking in? So that is in Staffordshire, North right. Staffordshire. Okay, I w- I'd be helpful to know whether it's a sort of rural part or I don't know. I mean, not th- well, it's a village. It's a village. Oh gosh, I mean, I've never lived in a village, so I don't know whether that would be quite difficult. I imagine to break into what they call tight knit yes, communities. Yeah, but I think maybe, and I obviously I don't know this at all, Colette, and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe you're one of those wonderful people who appears to be absolutely fine. So everybody's thinking, oh, well, you know, she's had a, you know, massive career or whatever it is, or, you know, travelled all the way around the world or whatever. You know, she's absolutely fine. Mm. She's come here for kind of a different reason rather than to be part of our gang. Uh, so I suppose... Or can you catch a kind, empathetic eye and actually just explain how you're feeling a little bit? Would that be the end of the world? Sometimes I think that blurting out of honesty is the thing that can do you the most favours in life, just to say, you know, I'm lonely and bored mm. and be it's it a bit crippling. Open. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, it, it, it will be crippling. I mean, I complete, I really feel for her. That's, I'm, I'm sorry, Colette, that's been really tough for you and we don't know why she's moved there or what's led to this no No. okay um well um you never even you never know there might be somebody out there in the north staffordshire area who might be able a bit like our listeners in bristol might have some solution yeah i would say that at times in my own life when i've been lonely and i did try and move abroad for a while and absolutely hated it i just couldn't find the I couldn't find exactly that, Claire. I couldn't find the people I wanted to be with. I did find it enormously helpful to actually just say to people, I'm quite lonely at the moment and a bit bored. And then people kind of go, oh, okay, we'll come along. Because you don't, sometimes you don't know, you know, the impression that you're giving off mm. and it might not be that. Mm. So, and I'm sure they're lovely people. I'm sure they're lovely people. So, I mean, for goodness sake, if they're doing Zumba, and walking a lot, they must be great. You ever done Zumba? Uh, no, <laughs> just the know. word makes me feel a bit upset. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so sort of assertive. I've never got to the end of a Zumba class. No, well, there's a new dance class in the Arches. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, dance fit. Um, oh, you know, I woke up from my afternoon nap. I like to take an afternoon <laughs> on a Sunday. Uh, well, whenever it was, whenever the the and the uh, yes. the the, uh, the archers thing was on, uh, <gasps> <laughs> I did. It's like some kind of. Uh, it's like you were there. Um, <laughs> oh, I was there yesterday. Uh, Jane says, I don't normally do this, but I wanted to suggest, suggest a lost art. I'm going to nominate library book stamping. <gasps> Brilliant. And we mentioned libraries and they are so important. Uh, more of a performance art. It was usually done by ladies sat behind a library counter venting some unknown frustration. <laughs> so right on the books you are taking home. Bang, bang, bang on your Ina Blyton's. Breaking the near silence of the place. Back at home, a favourite game with friends would be playing libraries or post offices. 
How would you play you? I don't think anyone's playing post offices these days, not in this country. Anyway, equipped with an ink pad and any sort of stamp to wallop books using as much force as we could muster. Only able to dream of those special stamping gadgets used in libraries that showed an actual date. I think something was lost when barcodes were introduced and not just the noise, says Jane nostalgically. Mm. I could not agree more. That email is a thing of beauty. Thank you. Because the library stamp was, it came from quite a high place, didn't oh, yeah. it, on the stamper. They so, went for it. Yeah, there was a real... But I think Jane's onto something. I think some of those ladies, and they weren't just ladies, they usually were, were perhaps getting something out of their system. Do you think? Applying that particular force to the stamping of the books. Yep. Uh, this comes from... Some of them will have been menopause, or will <laughs> And we know what that does to you. What does it do to you? Makes you very cross. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, just one thing on the nap. Why, when you have an afternoon nap, does drool come out of I your don't mouth? Know. I don't know. But when you have a big sleep overnight, it, it doesn't. doesn't. Well, scientists will listen to this podcast. Very good question. Yeah. What weird. is the answer? Uh, Rachel's listening to us in Sydney, uh, Australia, the only country with three A's all pronounced differently, she's put. Yes, I thought that. I thought it was extremely clever. Let's just have a think. Yep. Australia. Yeah, she's right. Your recent question about skills that have fallen out of use. Oh, no. Reminded me. (laughs) Austria. (laughs) I was going to say. Okay. Ignore me. Uh, Fallen out of use reminded me very much of my elderly father. Now, do you know what? I got a bit misty eyed actually when I read this one, Rachel. He's most set in his ways and as a result, his home is a treasure trove of obsolete technology. Very frustrating at times, but perfect as inspiration for a range of skills which are rapidly falling out of use. In no particular order, he still uses at home a telephone with a rotary dial. A slide rule. This is two rulers attached side by side that between them allow you to multiply larger numbers together. A barometer to forecast the weather for the day. Does he tap it, Rachel? Does, Does he it tap always, it? I mean, my mum and dad have got a barometer. It just always says fair. Does it set, set to fair? Yeah, yep. that's it. Yep. Well, I mean, maybe that's because they're living in the dreamland of Crosby. The Mersey Riviera. Uh, yes, a letter be. opener. He still enjoys the satisfying feeling of cleanly slicing open the whole top of the envelope. And he's also got a clock which requires winding every week with the time calibrated against the speaking clock. I didn't even know the speaking clock still existed. Uh, what a delightful set of habits. And Rachel goes on to say he used to commute to work every day, reading his broadsheet newspaper cover to cover in a packed Picard train. He perfectly turned and folded each page, maintaining a crisp centre fold line as he was jostled shoulder to shoulder with the other commuters. In my memory, all of the early morning commuters had their nose in a broadsheet and I could never figure out how they all managed to fit in. My dad still balances his checkbook each month and wears his Sunday best on a Sunday. He turns 80 next year and I love him dearly, but he really feels to me like he belongs in a different era. Well, he absolutely does, Rachel, but he just sounds like such a fantastic chap. And there's a beauty in that kind of fastidiousness, I think, as well. Yes, I've I've always admired a well-dressed older man. And by older, I mean, you do still see them in their 80s and 90s in a proper suit yep, with a tie on. It might be a bit tweedy. Yeah, but they look great. Yeah. Um, and I think your dad's very happy in his place, so... Good luck to him. Yeah, but I love all of those things yeah. because I think most houses don't have a single one of those things in them, actually. No. And that's no, a shame. Right. A letter opener. Yes. Well, we, don't, through. we don't get post anymore, do we? <laughs>
no chance of being something. You can't get your car serviced. You don't get post. You can't get a dental appointment. None of us have got any teeth in Britain anymore. Um, we've got a special guest. That's Tracy Ann Oberman today, isn't it? So I need to get a wiggle on. I really am one of you, says... Oh, and you're very unfortunate, Zoe, says Zoe. Oh, my goodness, I'm one of you, she emails. I keep a bottle of the magic stuff Hawaiian Tropic in my cupboard and I regularly rub it on in the dark winter to remind me what summer is like. It's just so uplifting. I grew up with this stuff. I used to call it bad bananas because of the smell. I love it, she says. Well, she is a woman after our own heart because do you remember during the pandemic, um, we used to talk about that. So I used to put Hawaiian Tropic inside my mask so that I could smell the smell of holidays. And you put, I can't remember what yours was. There was some, there was a smell that you had. Fiery Jack, deep, deep heat. <laughs> deep heat. Uh, the other delight the changing room at the gym. Back Summer to me. smell is Bergasol. Do you remember that? Uh, Bergasol. Sun cream. Sun. Well, it was. It was. It was oil, wasn't it? It was suntan oh, oil. Oh yes. I mean, that was. It was so optimistic applying that in Liverpool. <laughs> Who did we think we were kidding? But anyway, I don't know. But it's slightly. It did smell of bergamot. It was a dreamy thing. Oh, I've never made that association. That was what it was. Yep. Good lord. Well, we yep. didn't have bergamot up north. Yeah. We could die happy now. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Uh, shall we go straight into Tracy Ann Oberman? Is it about time? Yeah. yeah. Kate's nodding. Nice to have you back, Kate. Tracy Ann Oberman is taking on the mighty role of Shylock in The Merchant of Venice 1936 in a new production you can see at the RSC in Stratford and then at London's Criterion Theatre. She's known for lots of things, though, isn't, isn't she? Isn't she? So she was in EastEnders for quite a long time. She was, and just completely by the by and not really relevant, except it kind of is worth noting. She was just once very nice to a friend of mine. And I have never forgotten that about her. She didn't need to be nice to this woman. She was. 
And now whenever I hear her name, I think, oh, she was nice. Yeah. Uh, and you don't forget that kind of thing. No, I think she's terrific. She's yeah. incredibly articulate uh, and uh, really, you know, always very, very well turned out. We do have quite a long conversation about her hair at the end of the you interview. Know, you go into full teasy weezy <laughs> Raymond mode at the end there. Which I was surprised. I was surprised to hear go out on air today, actually. But hey-ho. Editing is an art that... Uh, <laughs> No, I enjoyed that bit. <laughs> anyway, it's at the end of this interview. So she's in The Merchant of Venice, 1936. The 1936, some of you more intelligent listeners will know it's not from Shakespeare's time. Uh, the edition <laughs> it refers to a reimagined backdrop of growing anti-Semitism uh, because the cloud of fascism in 1930s Britain was really darkening the skies, particularly above the east end of London. Now, Tracy Ann has said of the role, a Jewish actress putting on a play about anti-Semitism which needs to be made secure because of Jew-hating extremists. As one reviewer said, written in 1600, set in 1936, as relevant today, ain't that the truth? She has also spoken in the past about how important it is, she thinks, for Jewish actors to play Jewish roles and recently objected to the prosthetics employed on the film Maestro which show Bradley Cooper in the part of Leonard Bernstein with a very large nose so we get on to talking about that too but we do start with the play and I asked her what makes this production great the really good headlines are that it's short one and a half hours it's sexy it's punchy it's political and if you've never seen a Shakespeare before you're going to love it and if you love Shakespeare and you want to see another version of how this play could be done you're going to love it so it's one for the purists there's something for the gays something for the straights something for the women something for the men something for everybody in it so that's the big selling headline um what they will expect to see is um basically the merchant of Venice cut down with all the fat taken off it to an hour and a half with a female Shylock based on my great-grandmother fighting this merchant, this rich aristocratic merchant who she gets into a contract for a pound of flesh with and we've transposed it to um, the 1936 British fascist movement under Oswald Mosley with all his aristocratic followers uh, set against the backdrop of the Battle of Cable Street. So that's what they're going to expect. What is the significance of your great-grandmother's experience? So I've always hated The Merchant of Venice. I've always found it a really difficult play. Um, and I wondered what would happen rather than just take it out of the canon, as people like Juliet Stevenson have been suggesting. I always wondered what would happen if you reclaimed it. So by I always wondered what would happen if you set Shylock, this archetypal Jewish character who demands a pound of flesh. Um, I wondered what would happen if you if you turned it into a woman and saw how that changed um, the relationship with the daughter. And I was thinking about all my the matriarchs that I grew up with, my great-grandma, my bubba Annie, who came over from Belarus from all the beheadings and the anti-Semitism, and she was nearly raped. And she got to England at 15, and she called it the Golden Medina. She loved it here, even though she was sleeping in a factory and later on in the slums of the East End. You could still be a Jewish woman and nobody wanted to behead you or kill you. Uh, and then she came face to face with Mosley at the Battle of Cable Street when he was leafleting and marching against the Jewish entity. And she stood up with all her uh, all her other neighbours, you know, the Irish working class, the English working class, the Afro-Caribbean community. So it's that's the significance is showing a woman, an immigrant woman standing up to church and state uh, being ultimately destroyed. Uh, seeing the play through a different prism of uh, a woman standing up 
to with this little contract saying, you know, but I live in England and I have a legal contract and it's binding because the Golden Medina of England says that the law counts. And then as the play progresses, we see that the law really only works for the rich and the powerful. So it's a very multi, it's a really, it's a, I would say, a, a very strong ragu. It's been cooking for a long time and it's, it's won hearts and minds around the country and now it's going into the West End. And what would she make of the fact that this play and particularly this reimagining of The Merchant of Venice is more relevant now than it has possibly ever been? Well, I don't know if it's ever, I don't know whether that's true. I think The Merchant of Venice is a bellwether of societies that we live in. I mean, there's no coincidence that it was Hitler's favourite play. It was put on the Third Reich. They loved it. Goebbels did a version where he took out the great plea for humanity, hath not a Jew eyes, hath not a Jew, you know, if we're like you, we're, we're like you in the rest. This play has always been relevant. I thought it was relevant when I started working on it five years ago, having been a woman who was standing up to anti-Semitism on the progressive left and the huge amount of trolling and um, and abuse I got. And I thought that that was the zeitgeist. And then obviously with the, um, you know, unfortunately, anti-Semitism and othering and um, greater powers pitting us against each other has always been zeitgeisty. I think what has happened now since the attack on um, the terrible attacks on October the 7th is that within those first 24 hours before Israel had even put a boot on the ground, rises <clears throat> in anti-Jewish hatred had risen by 300% in this country alone. And I think that that's the zeitgeist is that, you know, in our play, you see the graffiti that's daubed over Shylock's house and you see the, you know, you see a lot of anti-Jewish rhetoric going on. And to me, that's the shocker, is that the same tropes that were coming out in the 30s and medieval England and onwards have risen to the surface again. Oh, absolutely. And I suppose that's my point in asking the question. It's the fact that we might feel we have a sense of impending doom in our society and also a feeling that the lessons of history have not really been learned. I mean, you've had to have security around you, haven't you? Because of the anti-Semitic threats of violence that have been um, yeah, it's made up, against you, you I mean, know, it's which crazy. is a dark time, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, these are really febrile times. Febrile, febrile. There's a lot of, um, you know, radicalisation online. There's a lot of... Um, you know, there are greater evils out there that are trying to pit minorities against each other. And it was the same in Mosley's day. That's exactly what Hitler did. And it goes all the way through the history of racism and anti-Semitism. You know, some people are finding, you know, the concepts of revenge and of vilification and all of those. That's all part of the play. And it's, you know, it's really interesting. And it brings up, um, I think it makes it a really rich topical uh, play. But for me personally, during a time where there is a global rise in anti-Jewish rhetoric uh, and violence and a lack of understanding and denial. Yeah, I think this play is really topical. And, you know, it, it is very meta that as a Jewish woman putting on a vilified, uh, you know, the, a production of The Merchant of Venice about a vilified Jewish woman, I'm, I'm finding that, you know, speaking about families that I know whose daughters were raped horrifically on October the 7th, um, I've been silenced on social media. People don't want to hear it. There are very few female voices condemning or speaking out on that. So for me, yeah, and the security that I've had to have, I think it is a rich, a rich um, zeitgeisty moment. I've heard you talk very firmly and very coherently about 
your belief that non-Jewish people playing Jewish parts is something that we all need to have a bit more of a think about. And I think it was around the time of Maestro, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, that, that's, not meant, yeah, that's not the hill I necessarily want to die on. I just got to, I, I, yeah, but, you know, I think, um, I think as actors, we are trained to play everyone and everything. Absolutely. And I, and, and I think, I, you know, I've been very lucky in that I've played a broad range of parts from nuns to queens to, you know, concubines. Um, and that's what I was trained for, and that's my job. But we are living in a time where we're re-looking at representation of all minorities and with representation and cultural appropriation. And I think, as you know, my friend David Badil often says, Jews don't count. They have to count in this arena as much as any other minority. I, I work with Russell. I'm very friendly with Russell T. Davis, who I admire enormously. And Russell, when we did It's a Sin, always said that being LGBTQI was not a character trait just to shrug on. He wanted it played with authenticity. So I would ask that in the representation of Jewish characters, the same amount of sensitivity and care is, um, and physical representation is put into, um, and is put into the casting and the thought behind those. Is there ever an argument, though, that uh, that you can bring more people to a play or a TV show or a film if the parts that you're seeing are played by, it could be anybody, well, you know? It, yeah, obviously. The, I mean, you know, I'd pay to see um, Jennifer Lawrence play Golda Meir any day of the week. You know, I'm sure if I had the choice between, you know, Bradley Cooper, Oscar winning is going to put on. I think the, the thing with the Bradley Cooper thing, it was less about the playing. It was more whoever let those those stills the original, the photo stills that came out on set were so um, ridiculous with the prosthetic nose. They looked so bad that it was a that as a first visual image of what he was bringing to Bernstein. It was a bit of a it was a bit shocking. And I'd like to, and, and, you know, and there's a there's a if you understand the nuance of the concept of Jews and their noses and the representation of Jews and you actually understand the historic purpose of what it was to represent them like that. There's sensitivity. I mean, you know, Jews can pass. So in medieval times, particularly with Shylock, in order to show that the Jew was different on stage, you stuck a pointed nose or a big, big hook nose and red hair to symbolise the devil. Um, that's, uh, you know, Jews don't look like that, but, but audiences wanted a visual impact to say this, this character, this Jew is different. Uh, to the rest of us, nice Christian society, and that's why we hate them. So similarly with Lenny Bernstein, if the first image that comes out is this ridiculous image of this big old stuck-on hooter, um, I think people got a bit uh, bit twitchy about it. I, I, I blame the bills photographer myself and the publicist. Uh, is, is, it, is it not the case that the big old stuck-on hooter is actually up for... Uh, Oscar, the the makeup and prosthetics yes. is up for an award, isn't it? Well, I mean, like I said, it is so not the hill I want to die on. Honestly, good luck to everybody. I think the same thing with Golda, uh, with brilliant, beautiful Helen Mirren. Personally, um, you know, Helen Mirren, Eddie Marzan, these are wonderful actors who have been hugely wonderful allies to the Jewish community and understand um, the nuances of anti-Jewish hatred and have always stood up and been counted. I think, I think the community as a whole, wouldn't have that much of a problem with beautiful allies necessarily presenting them. But I don't know whether I necessarily would want to see another non-Jewish Tevye or Shylock or Fagin. These are very 
Oh my gosh, this is a heavy conversation, but then it is the Times, isn't it? It's the Times Radio, that's what you do. Um, we'll get it's on all right, we can get lighthearted in a sec. My final uh, question I, I, for I, you, I hopefully, think, you know, is lighthearted. Yeah. yeah, you know, we're living in, you know, tropes, and, um, you know, this country has a, has a literary tradition of creating the biggest Jewish, uh, the archetypes for Jewish characters, which is Fagin, Shylock, uh, Barabbas, which is from um, Johnson's The Jew of Malta. Uh, and these are not, not particularly positive. Um, these, you know, these come out of a medieval blood libel trope of of the nasty, um, manipulative Jew. And so, I think, therefore, any portrayal of that has to be done very sensitively, sure. as you would with any minority. Uh, can I ask you about Claudia Winkleman? I had no idea that she was your cousin. Yes, I, I, yes, and I and I've um, and I've read here uh, that Is your side. Proud about that? <laughs> I'm sure she is. The Claudia's <laughs> side of the family are the arty ones, and Tracy Ann's are the suburban ones. Now, is that you something that? that you've said yourself, or that Did I say else? that? No, oh, I God, don't. How... So, it's, um, it's not arty... attributed. Yes. No, I don't think. I... Gosh, I don't know who would have said that. That sounds like something from well, uh, sort of the news of the world. I don't, I don't know who would have said that. Um, Claudia's gra- grandma and my grandma were sisters. And they were the two younger sisters of a huge line. I think there were 13 of them, um, where actually, again, who I based my Shylock on, these strong matriarchs, Machine Gun Molly was another one of their sisters, this sort of widow in the East End who knew how to cut a deal. She was terrifying. So there was Machine Gun Molly and loads of other sisters. And then her grandma and my grandma were sisters. And her grandma lived in a gorgeous house and she used to have these big family teas. So um, I love Claudia and her brother, Ollie, who I am close Mm. to. No uh, so thoughts on traitors i mean i do think you Never know, know that, episode, have you Never not watched, watched a oh my goodness the life okay. of theater means that you are treading the boards you never get to watch telly no fair enough well i will not ask you about her amazing jumpers then well yes. her, her, oh, but she always she was always so beautiful and also she's got incredible um she's got a great style she's always owned it she, she she's has. always owned her style and her fringe yeah. And your hair looks beautiful today, if I may say so. Thank so you. this is radio, but I'm going to try and describe it. It's the most wonderful kind of boof over to one side, gently, delicately falling over one shoulder. Uh, just so the <laughs> listeners understand this. Uh, Tracy only got up 15 minutes ago. And honest to God, you look absolutely uh, ready for a full evening's entertainment. And that's not a euphemism. Uh, I'm, like the, I'm like the Fabio, if anyone, the Fabio of the podcast screen. You it's, are. I've got, I've got a good hair. Thank God I've got good hair. <laughs> it's absolutely you. lovely to talk to you. Uh, Merch of Venice sounds fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. Please come and see it. It's empowering. And I think if you like Shakespeare, if you want to see it slightly reframed, Merch of Venice is at the Criterion from the 15th of February to the 23rd of March. The Merchant of Venice 1936 plays at London's Criterion Theatre. I just can't say it right, so I apologise. From the 15th of February to the 23rd of March. Um, it sounds interesting. It does really sound interesting. So I'm yeah, and also I just love the fact that, uh, you know, um, it's an hour and a half long, it's punchy, Fee, it's sexy, it, it, it's political. We mustn't dwell on the fact that it's <laughs> relatively short, although... That's another good reason. It's a very good reason to I mean, go. I, I speak as somebody who's going to the theatre again myself are tomorrow. You? What are you tomorrow. saying? Metamorphosis. I understand it's a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a comedy. <laughs> um, but it's a very challenging production. Okay, yes. right. Who's, who's in that? I don't know. <laughs> 
Do you know where it is? Yes, it's at my local theatre. And who wrote it? Well, is it Kafka? Yes. <laughs> I'm looking at Kate, who wouldn't, who's very kind and would always pretend, she would always tell me the answer. <laughs> I came up with the one name I had somewhere in what passes for my locker. Gosh. Uh, and I found him. Old Franz. Well, that is quite challenging, isn't yes, it? Yes, yep. yes. I've become... Maybe they've changed it and it's got a really happy ending. Maybe. Maybe it's set to music. <laughs> they're doing, making a music musical of everything dance. these days, aren't they? So could well be. Yeah. Maybe there's two spiders, they fall in love and make lots of little... Maybe once. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've uh, my latest TV obsession is Tiny Tempers, extraordinary extension oh gosh, from really Channel Four. Obsessed by this. I mean, I, it's so good, Jane. It's so good because there are people who put they're putting tiny extensions on the back of their houses. Yes. And some of them are extraordinary. You just don't, do you, you don't really like the property porn. I'm not that interested. I, I don't mind a bit of location, location, location. Oh, you see, I don't like that. That's a little bit too money, money, money oh, for no, me. Oh, no, I'm fond of Phil and Kirsty. Are like you? Yeah. Okay, I like Tiny more. Oh, he's okay. just, he's very funny. He rocks up and it's enormous, great big, you know, Land Rover thing. He wants mm-hmm. it. He wouldn't be able to afford to park in Paris with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of rocks on through everybody's lives. It's really, really joyful, addictive. Does he have a TV? Does he have an extension of his? Well, own? he's got quite a property portfolio. He's oh, been he? a very canny, a very, very canny man, I think, mm. in terms of his property investment. So he does know what he's talking about. If you've got a property empire and you want to <laughs> contact either of us with a view to. <laughs> just getting to know us would be very grateful indeed uh, Jane and Fee at Times.Radio uh, and once again thank you for joining in with this because um, it's brilliant isn't it People well it's, are... it's work for us as well Jane. And it's We're also... very grateful. you're quite right I was getting a bit sentimental there <laughs> casting all that aside it keeps us quiet and busy <laughs> after a fashion okay so we've got an email special so please don't worry we've, as Jane said right at the beginning of the podcast we've had some absolute crackers recently uh, so we're going to pop them all in a special and that will arrive uh, uh, in between your ears on Friday. Yeah, and tomorrow on the programme we've got Ed Davey and Prue Leith. Now one of them, maybe both, will make the podcast but certainly they'll both be on the radio show 3 till 5 Times Radio tomorrow. The app, the Radio Times Radio app is free. Yeah, we mustn't get the questions muddled up. No, I don't know where Ed Davey stands on gravy but we'll, we'll, no. we'll see. Right. And I like his statement jewellery. <laughs> but not so fond of his glasses. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Well, you get back. I know, ladies. A lady listener. I'm just sorry. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. 
Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com